So new year, new things. Um, those of you uh, who are used to uh, having a booklet for the journey through the New Testament or an email for the journey through the New Testament, new thing we're doing. In your bulletin, you have an insert and it has the devotions for the week. Now, if you are um, uh, on the journey through the New Testament email list from last year, you'll get this, I think today, in your email um, uh, for you to uh, follow along digitally. You'll get it weekly, once a week, not daily uh, from here on out. But um, on there, it has a little description about the, the message series and um, the scripture. It has a devotion. It has a, a place for prayers that come uh, from the church, but also a place for you to list your own personal prayers um, and a family activity. Uh, you may not have noticed, but there's a family activity for you that have uh, uh, younger children uh, to, uh, to see if you can find ways to integrate uh, the message and the, the purpose of the messages into your family life. And then also there's that part that where you can take notes on the sermon or doodle. I'm going to pretend you're taking notes on the sermon. Just don't tell me what you're doing. Our scripture, um, well, so we're, we're starting a new sermon series uh, entitled, You Be the Judge. There's the recognition that we all judge. We don't get away from it. We all judge from time to time. Um, but is there a scriptural way to understand judging? Uh, as, as I read this scripture passage, um, let me just say a, a couple of things about it. First of all, in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul is vitally interested in the unity of the church. That's his emphasis throughout 1 Corinthians. Now, I'll tell you that there are different emphasis in his different letters. However, there's one purpose to each one of those emphasis, emphases. And that purpose is to make sure you have an opportunity to share your faith with people outside the church. So unity in the church is important to Paul because disunity makes it difficult for you to share the faith. People look at it and say, well, you're fighting inside all the time. Why would I want to jump into that? And frankly, the people that do want to jump into that are suspect. I'm judging, I know. So we're going to talk about um, judgment from a biblical perspective, and um, we're, going to, we're going to start with this particular passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning at verse 9. He refers to this, by the way, there, there's, a, there's a previous letter to this, even though we call this 1 Corinthians. The reason why we call this 1 Corinthians is the previous letter, we don't know where it is or what it said. We know a little bit because of what he says right here. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral persons, not at all meaning the immoral of this world or the greedy or ro and robbers or idolaters, since you would then need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother or sister who is sexually immoral or greedy or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or robber, not even eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging those outside? Is it not those who are on, let me try again. Is it not those who are inside that you are to judge? God will judge those outside. Drive out the wicked person from among you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God, even when it's difficult to hear. Because I'm not sure that 
within its context is easy for us to swallow. Is this really what it means to be Christian? I'm going to give you a, a little um, warning about this sermon and this series. I'm going to beg you, please, 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 please don't just listen to this one and walk away. If you can't be here for the next three weeks as we talk about judging, please, 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 please listen to those sermons online, watch them on video. Um, uh, you can access them through livingwordumc.org because this is the introduction to a whole. And I don't know about you, but I don't know that I can get the whole of a book by reading the introduction to it. You need to have the whole. So this is just one part in a whole series. And to take it completely out of context, you'll walk out of here saying, Dave's nuts. Or being more confused about judging. Okay, Brenda's over there going, yeah. <laughs> I just call him out when I see him. <laughs> this is just part of a, of a whole series that's meant to sort of tie it all together. Um, the The whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Is that right? That's what I mean to say. So, new year, new you. You got a new gym membership that'll be forsaken by March. You've got a new diet that will be forgotten with Valentine's dinner and candies. But what about your faith? Did you make resolutions in that direction? We, we did that sort of a resolution in, in uh, that Wesleyan Covenant prayer. You can Google that. It's, it's all over the internet. Wesleyan Covenant prayer. Um, wow. I don't know. Did you, did you feel challenged in that at all, reading that? Or did you go, eh, that's easy. You got that done. I don't, I don't know that you can. It's meant to be a challenge to us to consider devoting ourselves thoroughly to God. Last year, we took a journey through the New Testament. Uh, began on January 1 and read through uh, nearly the last day of the year. In that journey through the New Testament, we read Matthew through Revelation. And in that, you are informed on what is inside that book. Every time I read through the Bible, um, especially when I read it sequentially like that, um, I listen, oftentimes when I'm running, I, I listen to the Old Testament. That's really a motivator for running. It's like, I got to run fast so I get this over with. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, but there's, there, there's parts of the whole of Scripture that I'm listening to, and I'm listening all the way through it, and all of a sudden I'll stop and go, wait, back up. What did it say? And, and it's not that I've never heard it before, but I've heard it in a new light. And then I have to think, but what does that mean? So as I shared last week, we begin with the information of what's in it, and then we move toward meaning. That's called formation. What does that mean, especially for me today? And if we accept what it means, how does that change me? And we call that transformation. And as we're transformed to become more and more like Christ... That's our goal in life as Christians, to become more and more like Christ. As we're transformed to become more and more like Christ, the way we relate to one another is transformed as well. I want to be really clear. I've, I, I have said this before, but, but let me just say it again. The Christian faith is not meant to be a private thing. Personal, yes, but not private. 
It is meant to be shared in relationship with other people. It's meant to be shared in relationship with people who don't profess faith and those that do. Personal, yes. Private, no. Another thing uh, about this coming year, um, during this coming year, I'm going to uh, refer uh, time and again to the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ. Now, the mind of Christ is um, uh, a concept that comes from Scripture. Uh, the idea is that, that um, if we have the mind of Christ, we will live differently. It comes from uh, Philippians 2.5. I'm going to read from the New Revised Standard Version to start with. And let me, for those of you unaware, um, you may read a version of the Bible and say, well, that sounds different than somebody else's sitting next to me. Um, or if you have a Bible app on your phone, you'll find there's 72 different translations you could read from, and most of those are in English. But you could read Bulgarian if you want if you're able to. Um, and so uh, what those translations mean is somebody took the original Greek, the original Hebrew, and probably also compared it to the Latin and said, how do I translate this so it works for today, so people understand it today? There aren't many of us in this room who are going to read the New Testament in Greek. I'm, I'm included in the, in the aren't able to. But there are others who can read the New Testament in, in the original Greek. Uh, good for them. But for the rest of us, we're, we're, we deal with a translation. Now, the, one of the first English translations was the King James Version. It was one of the early English translations. But it's one like that Wesley Covenant prayer that has these and thous in it. And so somebody came along and said, let's create a standard version that's more contemporary, and then the Revised Standard Version, and now the New Revised Standard Version, and that's the one I studied in seminary, and so I'm the most familiar with that one. But, but let me read what it says. Um, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. That sounds good. I like that. My only issue with that is that um, when we think about mind, we think about what's inside, not what comes out what our thought process is, and the things that are inside, not what comes out. And um, it's good to have the mind of Christ. But if it's all about what's in your head, it, it begins to become so private to myself that when it comes out, I sound self-righteous. It sounds like it's just me and the rest of you have to measure up to me because it's all about me and What's in here? So another translation that we might look at is um, the message translation. I read that oftentimes in my personal devotions. Uh, the message translation goes this way. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. And that's not helpful. Because doesn't that go the same direction, only maybe a step too far? So we got to be cautious about it, the translations we read. Um, a third translation, the one that I have used often in, in preaching, is the Common English Bible, which says, adopt the attitude that was in Christ Jesus. Now I think we're getting somewhere. Adopt the attitude. Because attitude is about posture, it's about facial the way your face looks. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's a, attitude is, is tone of voice. Now, how does something come out of us so that it, that it looks and feels and is received with the attitude of Jesus? We know what attitude is. Our parents have said, you got a bad attitude, or I don't like your tone, 
Our parents have done that, said that to us. So on a negative side, you know what it is. What might it look like on a positive side? And all of a sudden, the scriptures, the mind of Christ becomes how we relate to one another. Let me, let me throw out one more from the New International Version. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now, I did look at the Greek. Um, I don't read the Greek, but I have a, a website I go to that tells me what each Greek word is in that sentence. And nowhere in that sentence, in the original Greek, does it say anything about relationships. That whole first phrase, in your relationships with one another, is an insert by the NIV. That might seem problematic unless you read what comes before and after this passage. And what comes before and after this passage is all about how you relate to one another. So throughout this year, when we talk about having the mind of Christ, we're talking about how we relate to one another based on Christ operating through our brains. It's that prayer that we just prayed. God, I, I, I offer everything up to you. Use me as you need. So that my thoughts are your thoughts, God, and my actions are based on what you would tell me to do. The mind of Christ. It has everything to do with uh, what you're thinking as you relate to other people and how it comes out. And so while we focused on, on what was inside the Bible last year, this year we'll focus on what those things mean. And we're going to go into topical studies throughout the year. This next four series, this one and, and the next three Sundays are um, on judging. What does it look like to judge in a Christian way? <laughs> the ones that follow that in February um, just seem appropriate to follow judging with forgiveness. Actually, we'll kind of sprinkle that into this series as well. We judge people. We do it all the time. Every one of us does it, and, and, and for good reason. I mean, if you're walking down the sidewalk and somebody's coming the other way with a large and bloody knife, you might want to judge. It might be okay. You might want to look around and say, is there a butcher shop nearby? And if not, cross over to the other side of the road. Judging is self-protection. We can't avoid it. We shouldn't avoid it. I think it's one of those gifts from God like memory. I've said before that, that we have good memory, so we remember not to touch the hot stove a second time. It's a gift from God. By the way, when we do the forgiveness series, I will not say forgive and forget. God has given us the gift of memory for purpose. Also, God gave us the gift of judgment for purpose. But we can misuse it as well. So as you think about, as you think about judgment, um, recognize that we all do it. Sometimes it's for self-protection. Sometimes it airs over into things that it should. Anybody here people watch? Tell me you're not judging when you do that. I mean, I'm sitting there going, whew, I wouldn't have worn that that way. <laughs> Did they let you out of the house with that haircut? I mean, you do that, right? You do that. I, I know I, some of you don't because you're perfect. And then there's the other 99.5% of us. We just can't help it. We do it. 
So let's try to make sense of it. I'm, I'm going to talk about judging uh, throughout this series um, in four different parts. Um, I, I messed up Greg already. Greg wrote these devotions, and I've messed them up already because I jumped ahead a week with this sermon. Um, so this sermon's on uh, jurisdiction. Um, the next sermon's on the weight of being a judge. That's where I screwed Greg up. Uh, the next one's on restoration and then um, condemnation or um, passing sentence. So don't miss the whole series because I think it'll mess you up if you don't get the whole. Jurisdiction, according to Black's Law Book. Now, when, when I say I'm going to quote from a law book, um, as, I, as I took this passage from a law book, uh, Black's Law Dictionary, it is a paragraph long. And I edited it down because I'm not here to do legislation. Uh, I'm here to do theology. I'll be long on theology. Trust me today. Um, so in, uh, in Black's Law Dictionary, it says jurisdiction is the power and authority conferred upon a court or judge to pronounce the sentence of law against persons who are being brought before the court. The power and authority conferred upon a court or a judge to pronounce the sentence of law against persons who are being brought before the court. I think it's important for us to bring Christianity into the legal system, but we don't want to let the legal system govern who we are as Christians. So therefore, it's important for us to judge with a Christian perspective. As we look at jurisdiction, I'm going to use that passage that I read at the beginning from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and um, we're going to pick that apart for a little bit and, and, and see how uh, Paul insists on what our jurisdiction is. And I will, re time and again, I'll return to say Paul, because he's the guy that put pen to paper. Actually, he's the guy that told the guy that put pen to paper. Paul didn't actually pen his own letters. Somebody was a scribe that wrote it for him. So he dictates these letters that somebody else wrote down, but I believe that his dictation is inspired by God. So when I say Paul, I'm talking about the Word of God. I just want to be clear about that. I'm not talking about somebody separate from our understanding of God's Word. Paul is sharing the Word of God, and actually there are places where he's clear. He says, this is not from God, this is from me. So therefore, I think that unless he says that, he's, he's sharing a word of God. I'm also going to get myself in trouble in a little bit um, when I tell you that there are some parts of Scripture that I think were meant for an instance 2,000 years ago, and we have to worry about how we interpret it 2,000 years later. I'll get there in a moment. So verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter, remember there was a previous letter, we just don't have it. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral persons. Paul brings up one topic, and the reason he brings up that one topic is because in that church, at that time, 2,000 years ago in Corinth, there was an issue that brought this up. It is the presenting issue, but it goes to the unity of the church. And remember I said, the unity of the church, for Paul, the unity of the church is important to allow us to be a witness to those outside the church. So he happens to, 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 to take that one topic, and then we, for 2,000 years, take that one topic and make it our litmus test for all things Christian. And the problem with that is, he lists several other things that we don't make a litmus test. 
Probably because they cut a little closer to home for many of us. So we, yeah, this is just about sex. Let's leave that other stuff over there. Um, it's, it's compounded by, um, in my Bible, in, the, in this particular uh, translation and version of the Bible, um, at the top of chapter 5, there's a headline, and it's in bold print, and it's, and it's italicized, so it must be important. However, it's not in the original Greek. And many of you have that at the, as a headline in your Bible. This one says, sexual immorality defiles the church. So does everything else he names. So even my Bible makes it difficult as we, as we decide we're going to pick one thing rather than the global uh, number of things that he lifts up. Verse 10. Not at all meaning the immoral of this word world, or the greedy and robbers, or idolaters, since you would not, I'm sorry, since you would then need to go out of this world. He's saying that if you tried to avoid everybody who was outside of the will of God in their life, you couldn't leave this building. And, and honestly, for many of us, we couldn't sit in the same seat with ourselves. Because I, which one of you is 100% in line with Christ in your life? 100%. Yeah, me either. But he's talking about people outside right now. He's saying, you know, for those people that aren't a part of the Christian fellowship, for those people who aren't brothers and sisters, all right, when he uses the phrase brothers and sisters, he means the church. For those people who aren't brothers and sisters, you got to integrate with them. You got to be a part of them. You got to go out there and, and mingle with them because, well, it's important to do. I, before going into ministry, I was in the construction industry. They're all people of pure heart. You don't believe me? Yeah, see? And, and everybody else you work with, too. No matter what industry or what business or how you interact with people, you find people that aren't of purity of heart. And what Paul would be clear about is you got to be among them because you can't bring them in if you ignore them. Your job is to go out and be among them and to serve as a witness for Jesus Christ so that when they come to you and say, all right, my life's a mess and you seem to have it together, you seem to, they're judging you, <laughs> how, do we, how do I do this different? And you've got an answer. You've got an in because they've asked and you've got an answer because Christ has changed your life has given you a better way. Your job is to be the evangelist. And that's a great word that we have thrown out because we don't think it belongs in our lexicon any longer. Um, it, it's from the, uh, uh, the, the word in um, uh, the original uh, Greek is uh, the E-V is actually an E-U, so it's U, um, and then uh, the angel. The good, angel is a messenger, so the good message. Evangelism is sharing good news with someone. And the good news is that even though they've screwed up their whole life, judgment on our part, even though they've screwed up their whole life, God's grace is available to them. God's reaching out to them. God wants them to be a part of what God is doing in the world. It's good news. 
You've got to mingle with them. You've got to be in with them. If you have zero friends outside the church, you're doing it wrong. Let that sink in. Verse 11. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brothers or sisters who is sexually immoral or greedy or is an idolater or reviler, drunkard or robber. Do not even eat with such a one. Paul's saying, don't associate with people who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ and are immoral in any way. It's not just this list. He's saying, aren't, aren't moral in any way, whether it be sexuality or, or greed or focusing on one thing more than on God, which is idolatry. People who use abusive language, which is reviler. Drunkards and people who cheat others. Don't hang around them, even in church. Now, this is where I'm going to get in trouble, and I'm going to say tread lightly, tread carefully with this part of it. There are parts of Scripture that I think are, are 100% relevant to 2,000 years ago, and we've got to look at it with a different light today. And I think Paul would look at it in a different light today because Paul is all about sharing the good news with people outside. But if we in church said, gosh, you know that person I sit next to on Sunday, they really don't belong in church, I want to kick them out. What do you think that would do? They don't live their self life right. What do you think that would do? I think it goes outside of the understanding that, that you know, some people, some people are here in the infancy of their faith and some people are here kind of grown up and some people are here, Mother Teresa, and everybody in between belongs. But not all of us have re reached a level of perfection. And so driving those out who haven't reached the level of perfection, there might be one person in this room today, my judgment, and I'm not going to name who it is. It's probably you. The practice of shunning was a practice of the church in the day of Jesus, uh, in the day of Paul, after Jesus ascended. Um, and it's a practice that some churches practice, especially those that the, 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 the faith practices that try to segregate themselves off. Um, Amish communities would be like this. Uh, other communities that try to segregate themselves off, people that live in communes. The practice of shunning is you messed up, I don't even know who you are. And not just figuratively. They treat people that way. I don't think we can do that today. I don't think we're called to do that today. I think that is a, a misinterpretation of the intent of the letter. The intent of the letter would be that we live faithful to today, not live faithful to yesteryear. I do want to caution, though, hanging around with people who have bad habits is tempting. Do you need to be tempted in that way? 
look at the list again and say, if I hung around people that this is what they did, would I fall to that temptation? Not to shun, but being careful to protect yourself. And in that way, protect the witness of the church. Verse 12, for what have I to do with judging those outside? Is it not those who are inside that you are to judge? And now we get jurisdiction. What Paul is saying is he has no business overlaying his faith on people who haven't claimed the faith. And this is where the church gets in big trouble. We've been messing this up for, for, I don't know, 2,000 years. This is where we say to other people who don't profess Christ as Savior, you must behave in a certain way, and if you don't, I'm condemning you to hell. You don't have the jurisdiction. You don't have the authority we're going to find out who does in a minute, but you don't. Paul's clear. Not your job to judge those outside. Not your job to, to call people on the carpet that haven't professed faith. They'll fail to meet your standards. Of course they will. They're not even trying. You know, so I was, we had the TV on just kind of playing throughout the day and throughout the evening. Sometimes I just leave it on and I just, it's that background noise. And and yesterday, uh, um, uh, the show Undercover Boss was on. You know, you heard of that show, Undercover Boss? Okay, so this is one of those stations that plays reruns from years ago. And there was a guy on that show who was the head of a restaurant chain that happens to dress the women in the restaurant in scantily clothed outfits. You get the idea, right? And he's offended that some of the patrons of the restaurant would step out of line in speaking to the women. What? Offended. And I begin judging him. I want to overlay my faith on him and upon the women, and upon the patrons who don't profess my faith. And I recognize there's a disconnect there. There's a disconnect in his thought process. There's surely a disconnect in mine. For me to insist that someone live away when they don't profess Christ, let's talk about the people who do profess Christ, but for those who don't, it's not my job to judge. I don't have the jurisdiction to judge. Our task is to bring those who are outside, inside. And if we run around judging people according to our standards, when they're not even trying to fulfill our standards, we'll fail to bring the good news to them. I'm going to offer one exception where the Christian faith is meant to judge. And I absolutely believe this. This is where the Christian faith is meant to overlay our faith on society and governance. And that is when people live in systems of oppression and injustice. That is our job, to stand in the breach between those people and what hurts them and to protect and lift them up. I do believe that is the job of the Christian faith, not to overlay ours on the people that enact the laws, but to jump in and help new laws be enacted. Other than that, we don't have jurisdiction outside. 
On the other hand, we have jurisdiction to judge those on the inside. Meaning we have the responsibility to help people live in ways that are consistent with the Christian faith. Or bring them into the whole of the good news. To help them move along that trajectory from infancy in faith to maturity of faith. Not to shun, but to restore and reform. Sermon for another day. Remember in the end, what's important for the church is that we are a strong witness to people who are outside of the love of God in Jesus Christ. And we should hope that in, in our lives we're, we're living that out as best we can. Verse 13 goes on to say, God will judge those outside. So for those of you who need judgment... <laughs> For those of you who say, doggone it, at some, pl- pl- some time in life, they need their comeuppance. I think that's old English too. They, they need to get what's coming to them. There's a promise in this. God will judge those on the outside. Probably not in your timing. But it will happen. It's still not your job. You have no jurisdiction. And since you have no jurisdiction, I think you're placing yourself outside of the boundaries of the church when you do it. You're betraying your own faith. We can't overlay our faith, our doctrines, our internal morality on a world outside that's not even trying to live up to it. It just frustrates them and frustrates you. And it ruins your witness. Verse 13b is another one of those time-bound passages that I want to argue with. Second part of verse 13. Drive out the wicked person from among you. I think that's dangerous. I think that's problematic. I think that assumes that you're going to live the faith fully the moment you come to faith and there's no flaw in your life. And again, I think it'd be a room of one and I wouldn't be standing up here. I think it's also out of context with the whole of the Bible, especially the whole of the New Testament. So, so let, me, let me bring up one passage that, that challenges this notion. And this is from the book of Mark, chapter 9, verse 42. If any of you put a stumbling, these are words of Jesus, if any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believes in me, meaning they're a brother or sister, they're a member of the church, they're a Christian, it would be far better for you if a great millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. The key is those who believe in me, no matter if they're at this infancy of their faith, they're at a maturity of their faith, or they are as far as faith can go. If you cause them to stumble, if you say to them, you are imperfect, get out of my church, you know what happens in this day and age. People will leave. They'll happily leave the church. They may go to another church or they may not go anywhere at all. And you've caused them to stumble. You're the one in the wrong. I think there's a different way about it. I think there's, there's the responsibility of the church to, to come alongside, call people on things that are way out of line, and prayerfully help move them back into a growth trajectory of their faith. 
Well, I thought about um, ending there, and then I thought, you know, how do we reserve judgment on the outside? How do, how do we do that? What are some practical steps? And I'm going to offer just three simple practical steps. Number one, don't try not to judge. <laughs> you can't do it. It's a gift from God. You're supposed to have judgment. It gets out of line often. But don't try not to judge. It'll just frustrate you. But number two is keep it to yourself. When you offer those judgments in your mind, don't let them leave your head. Keep them to yourself. I, uh, um, I have a little practice that I do uh, in my head, stays in there. Um, when I find myself being judgmental, when I find myself looking at somebody's clothing, <laughs> a haircut, smell, it's just a little reminder that says, child of God, child of God. This one that I'm trying to judge, God loves. I might be out of line. And so I just do that over and over. I say, child of God, child of God, child of God. Don't cut me off, child of God. Child of God. <laughs> Don't change lanes on me like that. No, child of God, child of God, child of God. And then finally, uh, never let your judgments affect your actions. Because when your judgments affect your actions in a negative way, you lose your witness. And primarily that is your job, your witness. We have three more sermons on this topic, and I've just gotten started. We've just given you the introduction. And by the way, I think I could come up with 13 more sermons on this. I'm going to just make you suffer through three. Um, I, I hope that you'll, if you can't be here, I hope that you'll listen to the rest because I, I hope to give a, a more full understanding. This is, this is the opening. This is the introduction. This is the preface in the book. And there's a whole lot more to share. And we will in the weeks to come. Amen? And amen.